Hello, welcome to some Derps Talk About Games. I'm your co-host, Mango. And I am your co-host, Buddy. And today we're going to talk a little bit about Teen Titans Go, the movie. But before we do that, Buddy, why don't you tell the folks about what it is? I want to point out that it is Teen Titans Go to the movies, Mango. Oh, well. <laughs> I am sorry. My apologies to all you Teen Titans Go enthusiasts out there. Today we're going to talk... I'm like the only one, I'm sure. <laughs> today we're going to talk a, bit, a little bit about Teen Titans Go to the movies. <laughs> But before we do that, buddy, why don't you tell the folks at home what it is we do on this podcast? Well, it's pretty simple. On this podcast, we like to talk about games, but also movies, specifically movies about TV shows that I think my generation sorely underrates, but is quite literally the next SpongeBob SquarePants. And uh, and I am I am ready to ride this. I'm ready to ride this 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 winged beauty. Um, All right. So, as per usual, this movie, or this review is going to be spoilerific, but before we get there, we'll do our kind of reviews in brief. Uh, buddy, you want to lead us off? Uh, Teen Titans Go to the Movies is maybe my favorite movie of the year. Easily the funniest movie I've seen all year. In a year with some very good comedies, I want to point out, too, like Game Night I've talked about on the cast before, for instance. Um... It is a masterpiece. It is what Deadpool 2 should be and fails to be. Uh, like I was talking about last uh, when we reviewed that movie. It's it's great. The, the post-credits singer will be everyone's favorite uh, that, that's listening to this podcast, I'm sure. Uh, all right. Um, and in a word for uh, my view is uh, I thought it was very funny. Um, I thought it was... Uh, Good at all the points except for the parts where it was doing the actual plot of the movie. I thought the, the the like solid, like fifteen minutes to half hour towards the end where they resolved the plot was, was was mediocre, but otherwise it was good fun. Um, and I would agree with you that it's better than a lot of the movies that came out this year. Um, so yeah, there's that. It's good. Go see it. Um, yeah. Spoilers from here on out. Right? Did you want to put anything in before we, we did the spoilers part? No, no, that's fine. All right. Spoilers. Spoilers. Five, four, three, two, one. Spoilers. All right. So, uh, I actually, I'm really interested. The part where it was, like, trying to not be funny. You mean, like, where it was, like, doing the actual drama of the movie where, like, Robin wants his movie and he abandons his friends? Yeah. That, that whole bit, like, okay. it just, because the movie is so steeped in, well, the comedy style. So, there's a couple parts to this. Um, I think that, that movies based on kind of like variety shows, which Teen Titans Go kind of is, um, tend to struggle unless they can figure out a way to like make the movie one long version of their variety show. Like Monty Python and the Holy Grail does that. Um, I think this movie, um, for most of the first part does that by being a musical for the first part of the movie, which was <laughs> unexpected and awesome. Um, See, it, it, okay. As an avid watcher of Teen Titans Go, it's less unexpected than you think. There are a lot of like song jokes that are in the like that are in the tv show itself and i mean i guess in the same way i guess like spongebob has some of this stuff too like the campfire song song sure um, oh, but, what i mean uh, but there i was i was i i the 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 number of songs felt very in line with what we know of teen titans go so i i wasn't surprised that there were songs i was like for until like you hit kind of like the big plot point i was surprised that it was essentially like Couple minutes of comedy, couple minutes of song, couple minutes of comedy, couple minutes of song that kind of advances the plot, mm. as you would have in like you know a, a singing in the rain, right? Mm. Like, um, and that was 
um, kind of weird to me. But once it kind of hits that that critical point, um, right around the time where where Robin gets separated from his friends, um, like that whole bit where it's just kind of doing the plot just didn't feel very satisfying to me. Um, the animation I didn't think was anything particularly special. It's not like the action shown uh, there or anything. Um, and I just didn't feel like th there were any kind of real, like the, the stakes, the stakes felt weird because it's a, because it was like a comedy Teen Titans go movie, right? Like didn't, they yeah. didn't feel real. Um, and, uh, I think part of it might be also because it's kind of like a kids, kidsy movie. And may maybe that's just part of it bleeding through for me. Um, but yeah, I just, I, I didn't think it was bad. I just thought it was like exceedingly mediocre yeah i mean i all of that stuff worked for me in the end because of like the bit where robin is trying to like sum it up and do like a lesson and start fires like just it's not that kind of movie like and then, right. like the credits thing <laughs> like that that i mean okay so teen titans go um is is extremely like deconstructive and like postmodern humor and sure. so, like, I always kind of, I guess I end up giving it a pass because it always, it, it gets, it is self-aware about that stuff. And it, like, turns that into jokes. And then it's, and then it's fine. Like, I might have been annoyed, I, I probably would have been annoyed if, like, I felt like Teen Titans Go! was playing it straight. But I didn't think they were because it was all part of like a bigger joke everything is just a fucking joke to the team see I, I didn't feel that like I, I get what you're saying but like that that kind of like um, mid-end part where they do like that doesn't feel like a deconstruction or or a joke that feels like it's being played pretty straight um which is is pretty common in kind of like these um child targeted moral comedies right like yeah um like, cause at the end of the day, the, the, like, despite Robin, like them being like, there's no moral of this movie. The moral of the movie is pretty clearly like, you know, don't admit like your friends are important. Right. Um, and that's, that's a fine moral and, and, and whatever. It just felt like it, it broke from kind of like the manicness of the rest of the movie, which I really enjoyed. Right. And I'll agree with you. It, it really pulled it back at the end. Like I, I laughed so hard when Robin's like, kids, ask your parents where babies come from. Yeah. <laughs> Like, that's amazing. <laughs> I felt so bad. There was this old guy. I was like, what the fuck is this guy doing? There's this really old guy. And it was just, like, four people in the theater. It was, like, me and Rachel. And there were, and right next to us was, like, a 60, like, a 50, 60-year-old guy. And he didn't... He was... I was like, what are you doing watching this movie? And I was laughing my ass off. And really disruptive, I, I bet. Like, I'm sure he must have been like, what is this grown-ass man next to me laughing so fucking hard about? But I don't know. Like, there's just so many good bits in. There's just so many good bits in here. Um, yeah, the Stanley cameo was amazing. I missed the Stanley cameo. I had to go to the bathroom, and so I missed the Stanley cameo. And Rachel also told me there was a Batman vs Superman joke that I missed. Um, uh, yeah, the, there. So when when Jade Wilson, which is the the kind of like like the the most obvious piece of foreshadowing, I yeah, actually, yeah. Um, uh, uh, it, like they go to the set to um. Uh, to to to, Robin goes to the set to entreat Jade Wilson to make a Robin movie, and they walk in on a basically a Batman versus Superman happening on stage, and Batman has has Superman grabbed by like the cowl, and he says, "What's your mother's name?" And they they do that for a little bit, <laughs> um, and then 
And then, like, and they, like, you know, it's like, Martha. Well, my name's Martha, too. And they, like, hug. And then it's like, wait, what's your dad's name? <laughs> it's like, my father's name was Thomas. And they start fighting again. It's, it, it was <laughs> it was really well done. Um, and, yeah, no, I, I appreciated all those fucking pulls. Um, yeah, there were actually a lot of references to, in a lot of ways, I, I was surprised at the number of references that they were making to other things. Um, the music in this movie was actually... Um, interestingly great because it was pulling and i don't think it was quite the um specific songs but they were songs that were reminiscent of other famous songs from superhero movies um the obvious one being the superman theme um, the Batman theme, like when the Batmobile was was like fighting them at the very yeah. end in the golf cart, uh, there was uh, like the Batman theme from the '90s Batman movie. Um, there were some from Marvel movies too, but I can't quite remember what they were offhand. There was actually one from Man of Steel that was great, where Slade was flying, where they were flying through the streets of, I guess, Jump City, um, or maybe Los Angeles. I don't really know. The geography doesn't make a lot of sense. They were flying through. They were flying through the city, having this like flying fight with, um, with Slade, and they referenced the Man of Steel soundtrack. There was just like a lot of like small references like that that I always that I thought were really great. Um, yes. Even like the even like the uh, um, uh, the small thing of Nick Cage voicing Superman. Do you know what that that's a reference to? Uh, he wanted to play Superman or something like yeah, that. Yeah, right? he w- he wanted to play Superman really bad, and he was going to play Superman in the movie that eventually turned out to be Superman Returns. Um, the original version of that was pitched in 2000 or 2001 by Kevin Smith and was called Superman Lives um, and was famously and historically awful and a bad idea from every direction because they had a really stupid producer uh, for it. There's a documentary called like The Death of Superman Lives, uh, the director of which actually just died. Um, he was a guy named John Schnepp. Uh, but, um, yeah, so, like, even to their casting choices, the movie is, like, making fun of the history of superhero movies, so. Yeah, I actually, I actually wanted to touch on the Nick Cage Superman for a second, because I thought he did a good job voice-wise, but I didn't think they did a great job animating Superman's face to, like, match Nick Cage's tone, if that makes sense. Um, I was, I was, so, not to, like, shit on the animators or anything, but, like, the, the animation style I don't think lends itself to being great, if that makes sense, right? It, it seems like it's an intentionally simple style so that it can be produced in kind of a, uh, a format. I, w- I, I was impressed by kind of, like, the change-ups that they did. Like, there were large sections of this movie that weren't in that classic Teen Titans Go style, yeah. um, which I thought was, was pretty great, was pretty amazing. So, I, I will give them credit there. But I, I wasn't as huge a fan of, like... I was not. I'm not a huge fan of the Teen Titans Go art style when it's trying to be like a, like be emotive, if that makes sense. Um, just because cartoons have to be kind of over the top and like, I don't know. I I, I specifically really felt it missed it with uh, with um with with the Nick Cage stuff. But um, I had a couple questions for you on kind of like the Mango asks Buddy lore questions about the DC universe. Sure. Uh, so, uh, first off. Uh, who the fuck are the Challengers of the Unknown? Ooh, the Challengers of the Unknown. Yeah, so the Challengers of the Unknown are, like, just a an incredibly esoteric um, 
uh, group. Like, I... So, do you know what the Doom Patrol is? No. Okay, so the Doom Patrol... Um, so, the reason that Beast Boy wears the costume that he wears, like that purple and black costume, is actually because it's a Doom Patrol costume and Beast Boy in the comics is part of Doom Patrol for a while. They actually reference this in the Teen Titans, um, like the, the actual beforehand Teen Titans show, right? Like, um, not Teen Titans Go. Um, and, uh, and the Challengers of the Unknown are just like that. They are just a, a short-lived, esoteric superhero team um, from the comics from a long time ago. They're actually some... I actually think it's a good reference. There's a lot of teams like this that are just kind of fallen by the wayside. But it's a, it's a pretty good reference specifically because um, it references... Uh, the, like the the challenges of the, of the unknown came back in the mid two thousands for a while. Just the name, not the actual challengers themselves. Um, because during the countdown, or during the series countdown, um, there was a group of heroes that became known as the challenges of the unknown, which were Ray Palmer, Donna Troy, Kyle Rayner, and maybe there were other people in that group. I don't quite remember. But like, yeah, like it was a thing when they brought it back. Like the challengers of the unknown. Um, so are they, are the original superheroes, or are they just like dudes in funny suits? No, they're superheroes. They were created by like Jack Kirby. Okay. So, what what yeah. are their what are their powers? Uh, I have no idea. Off okay. Hand. Okay. Um. Uh. Other question. Um. I was under the impression that the DC universe was not like like Marvel takes place in like New York City and other real places. I thought that like Metro City and Gotham were like replacements for those places and they weren't coexistent. Is that is that inaccurate? Uh, it is, uh, no, like, so New York and Los Angeles and stuff like that exist in the DC universe, but they are smaller cities. Okay. Um, so for instance, Metropolis. So it's also, it's also a bit weird because of where some of the cities are. For instance, Metropolis is sometimes a Great Lakes city that's kind of in like Michigan or something like that. Like it's on, um... It's on the Great Lakes, which kind of makes sense because Kansas is, like, closer right. or whatever. But then, like, so, for instance, in the DC movie universe, Metropolis and Gotham are sister cities kind of on either sides of a um, of a bay or a river, kind of like, you San Francisco know, and Oakland. That, that's what yeah, I thought San, they were supposed to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so, and then the other thing, so, um, there's also uh, real life kind of XBs to them. So, Gotham is Atlantic, or not, not sorry, not Atlantic City, it's Hoboken. Um, is based off of Hoboken, New Jersey, Makes uh, sense. which was crime-ridden and all of this other kind of shit, and kind of uh, um, in where in like where it was. But it's but like all of these cities have like picked up tons and tons of you know tons and tons of lore. Coast City, for instance, is kind of in the middle of California, um, which is where Green Lantern is from, and has some like sort of California city, you know traits or whatever but a lot of these cities have kind of like picked up their own i guess uh like flavors and styles as time have gone on right like the gothic architecture that defines gotham at this point was introduced by tim burton in the batman movies and then just kind of folded into the batman tv show and then folded into the comics kind of from there so there's a lot of like piecemeal kind of cobbling together of these cities and their identities over time okay um I mean, not, not that I was going to, like, be hard on, on Teen Titans for it, but I was just like, Hollywood, shouldn't that be, like, I don't know, Metro City Films or something? I, <laughs> I mean, there, there are actually, uh, there are a couple of instances, if I remember correctly, where, um, 
those overlaps kind of have happened uh where like you know batman will go to new york city or because like i think the i think justice league uh, like the justice league headquarters is in washington dc um the hall of justice okay that makes sense um so like they definitely do reference real, real world cities. Uh, famously, I guess Diana um, Wonder Woman is a uh, is a resident of uh, Washington D.C. She doesn't really have her own city. She kind of has Washington D.C. Um, so you know, I don't know. They they spread it across the line. The D.C. universe is interesting because uh, and this has actually been pointed out. Like this is a YouTube video about it, kind of about like how this is a problem in the D.C. universe, which I don't quite think it hits problem status. But um, I think the interesting thing about the uh, the D.C. universe from this perspective is that like it has its own kind of accumulated lore about this stuff just over time. Uh, so for instance, <clears throat> the um, the like the mcdonald's isn't mcdonald's it's big belly burger uh but whereas in marvel they would probably just call that mcdonald's right or like any of like the pop culture references like there are a lot of inside universe kind of pop pop culture references that are talking about things that don't exist in the real world whereas marvel does the opposite where they talk about things that do exist in the real world and so there's kind of like this weird line between what is fake and what is real um between the two different universes okay oh that makes sense kind of on that same line um what is jump city roughly supposed to be analogous to and uh is like it is it like the titan city like i know on the sign it looked like it was plastic man yeah i mean so the original uh the the original spot of titan's tower is san francisco Okay. Um, and Titans, so the, the way that the Teen Titans worked in the comics was the Teen Titans basically had, like, the, the Titans Tower and could go there through, like, portals or some shit, like, because there's, like, teleportation um, through the Watchtower. And so on the weekends, all of the Titans adventures happen on the weekends. During the weekdays, they go to school and they fight crime and all of this other stuff. And then on the weekends, they all go and hang out with each other and do stuff uh, in Titans Tower. Um, and then a couple of people live in Titan's Tower full-time. Like, Cyborg lives in Titan's Tower full-time, for instance. Okay. And is, is and just to the, the Jump City stuff, is what is that like a, an established DC Universe city? You know, I actually don't know the history of Jump City. It might be. Um, or it might be something that... Um, uh, yeah, it looks like it was just created for Teen Titans. Okay. Well, yeah, sense. it was just created for the Teen Titans series. Um, okay. Yeah, I just had Plastic Man on the uh, on the sign, like in, in the movie. I thought mm. it was Plastic Man at least. Uh, I was like, does Plastic Man have a city? I didn't think he was like prominent enough for that. Yeah, Plastic Man definitely doesn't have like his own. Like, yeah. Rooted, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um. But uh. I think that was all, like, kind of the... Oh! You know what? Is is Deathstroke Slade now, or is that just a thing for the movie? Uh, so the reason that Deathstroke has to be Slade is for censorship reasons. Uh, Deathstroke makes... Like, they you can't call him... They had to call him Slade in Teen Titans, specifically because it was on a kid's channel. Um, and you can't call it Deathstroke? I guess you can't have, like, death in the name or something okay. like that? So they just called him Slade. His other name is The Terminator. Like, his full name is, like, Deathstroke The Terminator. Um... 
but uh, but they call him Slade because of that. I don't I don't quite know if the movie is reflective of that at all. Like I I kind of wouldn't be surprised if like the movie would have had um, a a different rating uh, or some ooh, excuse me or something like that. Like I don't know what its its rating was offhand. Um, but but is Slade uh, is he a character in the Teen Titans Go TV show? Uh, he has not come up in the Teen Titans Go TV show, I don't think. But the Teen Titans Go TV show, which is kind of what, what makes the movie so, uh, like, special about it. Right. Um, but, uh, the Teen Titans Go TV show is very much, like, a comedy hour right. thing. Um, right. rather than, rather than, like, a superhero. There's sometimes fights, but a lot of the time it's just, it's just all jokes. And that, and, like, the, the point that they make... In the movie, right, like, the Justice League are like, you guys, like, never actually fight crime is referential to the, co- or, I'm sorry, to the TV show, where a lot of the time they're, like, doing things like settling the debate. What's better, burritos or burgers, right? Like, <laughs> Yeah, no, that's, that, that is all fine. Just, that, that makes sense. They made a Terminator joke in the movie, didn't they? I feel like I, I, I heard something like that. I was like, he doesn't look like the Terminator. But now that you, you you said that, that makes more sense. That's part of his title. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe. Um, yeah, but, mo- uh, yeah. There's a lot of jokes that I, I know I miss. I might go back and rewatch it just to see uh, to see some of this stuff. There's a lot of, like, did, did you pay attention to any of, like, the signs, like, the shops at all or anything? I, I, the movie posters, I know I missed some of them. I tried to get as many of them as I could. Yeah, because uh, there, there's, I mean, there's always way too many because it's like yeah. a blink and you'll miss it sort of thing. But I love it, and this is also true of the 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 Teen Titans Go um, TV show. Like all of the the backgrounds have this sort of stuff, but most of it is like are like pun references to like lore things, right? So there was a shop called Apocalypse, but like with like dark side with like big kissy lips yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what i mean there were a couple there of times like that. there were a couple of times where i like i might have actually physically reached out my hand to hit like the back key on my keyboard because i wanted to rewind it and like pause it um shows you how much youtube i watch but like it was it was that because he's like oh that was the thing i want to see it um so yeah i definitely I, I don't know if i'll go back and see it in theaters again but like i feel like this is a movie i would like like to rent and just pour over the frames for a little while. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. It really is packed to the gills. Um, uh, yeah. Oh, so, um, like, I think my favorite part was the, uh, like, undo all of the, the hero's tragic origin stories thing, because it was totally irrelevant. Like, it was literally just an aside. <laughs> I know, I love that. Um, and, uh, uh, and, like, I, I, I nearly lost it. When like they they redid Bruce Wayne's origin story, it was just like like it was just like the look on like fake you know like the, uh, on young Bruce Wayne's face while they like shove into the, the alley. look on Robin's face when I think it, does he give Bruce a thumbs up like you know what I mean yeah. I was like, or maybe he's giving the other Titans a thumbs up what or something because he has this big grin mm-hmm. on his face and he's like we fixed it like <laughs> after shoving them into the alley to get shot oh god that was so funny yeah yeah see like this is. This is this is funny. This is part of why I was disappointed in Deadpool in a way, um, because I liked that bit in the middle with the um, 
not XCOM, what am I thinking? X-Force, uh, where like X-Force all dies and everything. Like this is a movie that that delivers on that sort of promise where, yeah. you know, they're just, cause like, you know, if, if I'm thinking about this kind of as a structuralist, right. And I'm thinking, well, what does this, this is a plot cul-de-sac. Nothing gets accomplished, right? Why do we waste six minutes on this whole bit? And there's this whole thing with, like, dubstep Krypton crystals, which I also thought was hilarious. Yeah. Um, I think you could do that with a comedy movie, right? Like, you can... Yeah, yeah. Because it's a movie that is about the humor rather than about the actual plot, you can just take the time to go to the side and, like, do bullshit, right? Like, yeah, yeah. Effectively, what they did was they did a they did a bunch of skits and then did, like, one like, normal cartoon-length actual episode with the plot to it, and then they, like, put a couple more skits on the end, and that was it. Yeah. Um, and I like the skits better. I didn't like the cartoon, but, you know, that, that's that's that, that's me. Um, but I thought, I, I, I thought they executed well on all of that, right? Like, like the... Uh, I think getting Michael, I think it was Michael Bolton who did the, like, the... Yeah, Michael the Bolton did, oh my god, the upbeat, yeah, the song about life, Jesus. Yeah. Like, his voice is so <laughs> recognizable that I was just like, what? <laughs> like, this, it was, oh man, I, it was, it was, it was, uh, it was, it was great. No, uh, that was, that was a trip. I, I actually leaned over to Rachel and I said, that's Michael Bolton. <laughs> but like, and, and it's also like, small things that make those jokes like really like pop like the upbeat song about life would have been funny enough if they're just kind of self-referentially making fun of um the um you know the 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 typical sort of cheer em up song that goes into like a musical or like a movie like this but capping it off with them running over like the cat with the guitar yeah. and then his poor gets out of the car and he goes i think his dad is a cop <laughs> and then they just run away like oh my god it's that stuff that i think makes sea titans go truly magnificent because like it would have been a good joke but they they get it to that like 110 percent yeah. level and it's always something like that you know like it would have been a funny joke if they had gone and undid all of these superheroes right but then they return to the present and it's all fucked up and then they go back in time to redo all of the superheroes in like really quick succession like <laughs> like i don't know it's just something about like like really pumping some some uh uh really pumping some high quality jokes out of everything that they do yeah not, not only that but even like the little details right like yeah um like one of the things that they did was they undid the creation of the teenage mutant ninja turtles which is like <laughs> <laughs> like what um, um and they didn't read me I, that one i didn't realize that i don't know if that was uh like intentional or not but yeah uh you yeah, know i, I thought just, that was that was truly a work of art like I, I don't know. I don't know what else to say about it. It's, God, it's just so funny and it's so smart. Because, like, they didn't say anything about it. And it's a blinking you'll miss it moment for kids. How do they understand? They won't understand what that shit is, right? Yeah. But, like, as an adult who can kind of put two and two together. And they obviously can't be too, you know, they can't be too obvious about it. Because that's, like, copyright infringement. Yeah, yeah. But it's just, yeah, four turtles that are walking towards some goop. Oh, you turn them around. Like, yeah, what does that mean? <laughs> it's also, like, one of those things, like, if you know enough, you, like, double clutch on that. Because, like, the the original um, uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles origin story was a ripoff of the, of the, um, of the... Daredevil X. Yeah, the, 
Well, the Daredevil origin story. Yeah. Right? Like, it's, it's, I think it's, like, semi-canonically the same accident that creates both of them. Um, semi-canonically, because I don't think they're illegally allowed to acknowledge it, but it's supposed to be the same accident. Um, and it's just, like, you know, it's, like, all those little things that are, that are great for, like, dumb nerds, like, you know, I'm not nearly the comic books nerd that you are, and I, and I loved, I, I loved all those little stupid things. Um, uh. And I think that makes up for the fact the plot's kind of shallow, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like, I mean, I predicted, I predicted literally every plot beat as it happened. Yeah. But you know, that's okay. Um. Yeah, I, I definitely feel like it's a that's okay sort of. Because um, it's just, I don't know, it's just like not the point. This is like yeah. the. This is kind of um, the, the. This is the interesting thing to me about Teen Titans Go because I typically really don't like stuff like this. You know what I mean? Like Teen Titans Go didn't really have much. Like Teen Titans Go to the movies didn't have much of a point really, and like, is it parody? Is it satire? Right? Like, am I supposed to say that all of these jokes at the expense of superhero movies and superhero dumb are? You know what I mean? Are they ultimately affirming of superheroes as, like, a concept? Are they trying to tear down superheroes at the concept? You know what I mean? Like, it's just, like, it, it's so... I can't... There is... There is... It's so hard to derive, like, meaning from it. And um, and I think that's kind of what makes it, like... What I, it's why I think of it as being so, like, postmodern. In I mean, terms, in in these sorts of terms, I mean, I think there's a couple of like clear things, right? Like, like I said, there's the kind of on the on the nose bit for for the kids, which is like you know always like be your friends are your friends and your friends are important type stuff. Um, and then there's also like a pretty clear like I don't know like kind of shot at superhero movies, right? Like that that's that is one of the main drivers, right? Like, yeah. superheroes are too busy making movies, um, and there are, like, there are too many superhero movies, I guess, it's like, as deep as yeah. that message goes. Um, and I don't know if there's, like, I, I don't know if there's anything to to, to, uh, to go beyond that, but I, I think I generally agree with you, but I do, I do think that there's some stuff in there that's just kind of, like, relevant. Yeah, I mean, I think the real value just comes from being able to, to, to laugh so hard at it and, uh, and like, in the deconstruction, you know, in, like, itself. Te- tearing away the veil a little bit. Like, when Slade walks into the thing, he's like, oh, this crystal will make the most the most perfect, perfect plot, plot device. device yeah. You know what I mean? Just, like, being, I, I guess there's something about being, like, radically, like, honest in a way. Uh, with, like, with the audience. And I, I almost want to say that, like, that's the point. I see there's a you know, as a postmodernist, I guess myself, I almost want to resist this. But I think that that's probably the point, right? Like, in a certain sense, that it's just going to kind of be what it is. And the point is that you can, you know what I mean? That, like, you can deconstruct this stuff. And it is really, it is just, like, really funny to take a look at some of these conventions, like these superhero conventions, kind of from, uh, from like, an absurdist bent or like yeah. tone. I, I wonder know? I wonder like is this does this make is this as as good if you don't know what's ha- like if you if you're not familiar with all of these things, right? Like do you need do you have a certain level of baseline knowledge necessary in order for this to make sense. 
I would argue that you do. I would argue that the only reason Teen Titans Go is successful is because it exists in a culture of, you know, superhero saturation, right? Like, if we were to take Teen Titans Go to the movies and play it for, you know, an audience of, you know, Ukrainian kids... I don't know what Ukrainian television is like, right? But, like, I feel like they would be missing out on a lot of these kinds of conventions. Um, but I, which, so, which, like, which gets so heavily mined here. So I, I, I get that. Um, I, I think my, my, my point is, like, how heavy does that saturation have to be, right? Like, how much of this do you, like, how much of this can you get from being, like, Johnny Casual Marvel fan? And how much do you need to be, like, you know, like, on a sliding scale of, like, buddy comics book nerd to Johnny Fasual, casual Marvel movie viewer, how, how far, like, what end of the spectrum do you need to be on that to, like, to get this movie? That is a good point. Like, I wonder if, like, my mom would get this movie. Yeah. That, that... I, she would definitely get some stuff, obviously, because some stuff is even bigger than that. Um, but there right. is... Like, know... like, the plot device point, right? Like, that's universal enough that, 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 like, if you've seen enough movies, that makes sense. It, um, but like a lot of these little things are like, um, we're, we're, we're very kind of like universe specific, I think maybe not maybe, maybe like, like, like the Nick Cage thing, right? Like that, like little thing in there is, is, uh, is there for people who are in the know. Uh, I wonder how heavy this is. Cause this is the thing that kind of, this draws a lot of parallels to me is, is uh, Neo Yokio, um, which is a, a show on Netflix that is very divisive. Um, that I very much enjoy, but, like, I kind of recognize that this comes from, like, a kind of knowledge of tropes and, like, the moment that was, like, 80s Cartoon Network reruns of anime that makes that show work for me. And I feel like if you're out, like, if, you, if you're not familiar with that, or even if you're, like, like past that in a way, right? Like, like it didn't do well, I think, with a lot of, of, of like, super anime nerds because they think that they forgot about watching Sailor Moon when they were kids on the television or whatever. No, um, I mean, I I, mean, I actually think that's a good comparison because I think it's the same reaction that people give to Teen Titans Go. I have a lot of friends that fucking hate Teen Titans Go. And they hate it because they grew up with the Teen Titans, like the regular Teen Titans show 12 years ago. Um, and they loved that show. And this one, which is kind of, I mean, like, you know, part of, part of what I think makes Teen Titans go so great is that they are ruthless with the Teen Titans themselves. Like simultaneously, you're supposed to identify with them, but also like laugh at them. Um, you know, a good example of that is like the mind manipulation bit with like, yeah. with like Slade. Like that bit is funny because they're so stupid. You know, and they're such bad heroes. Or, or like the bit where they're playing the they're playing the song and they're doing the whole like rap or whatever, and then you just get a quick shot and it's from Balloon Man's perspective, and they're not, not even looking at him, and they're far away, and you can't even quite you can't even really hear the music, and you can tell that they're just being like narcissistic jackasses, and Balloon Man's like this what? And they make this joke all the time in the show. Like there was actually an episode quite literally where the Teen Titans for like fighting brother blood and they are ruthless with like collateral damage and they like destroy half of jump city and then brother blood turns around and sues them like through the city like at for the property damage that they cause and like the whole joke is that he's right they are awful at this. They're really bad superheroes. And the and the episode ends. This is one of my favorite episodes, actually. The episode ends with a complete non sequitur to the bit from My Cousin Vinny with um, 
Do you, do you know that movie? With, yes. Uh, with, uh, what's her face? God, she's uh, Spider-Man's mom right now. Uh, Marissa Tomei? Wait, yeah, with Marissa, Marissa Tomei, where she goes up on the stand and just, like, runs through the whole, like, tire tracks and, sh- and like, thing with, like, an auto shop. It, seriously, go watch it. Because that's how the, it ends. Raven goes up there, does an impression of that, and then <laughs> I think the judge slams the gavel and is like, guilty, and then the episode ends. And that's it. Like, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> and it's that kind of stuff that I just think makes Teen Titans go so fucking funny. Um, so yeah, like it is, like it is ruthless to the Teen Titans. And if you're somebody who grew up with like the 2006 series, you know what I mean, and you love these characters and you feel like a connection to Beast Boy and Terra, like even that is played for laughs in an episode. There's an episode where Terra comes back and she is so obviously laughably evil, and they all of the Titans keep telling. Beast Boy. Tara is obviously evil and a bad guy, but Beast Boy is too, like, infatuated with her to notice. It's, like, basically an extended Pepe Le Pew reference. Like, uh, because he keeps going after Tara, and she's just trying to kill the Titans over and over again, and he's, like, writing her, like, love songs and shit. Um, I don't know, man. It's just... It's tough. (laughs) Yeah, but, so, this is actually interesting, because, like, I feel like, like, there's, like, two sets of fans then, right? Like there's, yeah. There's one set that can, like, laugh at all of that, and there's another set that that, that can't for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I mean, and that's the, th- the funny thing, because I actually, I feel like I should be in one camp, but I'm not, in, but I'm not. You know what I mean? Because, like, I'm exactly the type of person that gets pissed off by, like, bathos in Marvel movies. Do you know? Like, yeah. So why does a show like Teen Titans that is wall-to-wall bathos why does that appeal to me i find it so strange and i I kind of feel like it's kind of it's because it's all one or the other in a lot of ways like i don't know um is is it is it really is is isn't bathos like undercutting the the drama like because if it's if if it's all comedy then there's it's not like there's drama being undercut like yeah that's fair i mean there are sometimes i don't know because like because there are some other movies that I also think of in this kind of postmodernist vein. Like, I was talking about the 21 and 22 Jump Street movies recently, and they are definitely all about this. Like, those movies, from a thematic kind of perspective, are all about kind of how we structure out our stories and deconstructing those same stories, right? But, like, the drama at the heart of it is real. Because, like, Jonah Hill and Channing Tatum are kind of real characters that really care for each other but also really have divides um, and they kind of do that cliche thing where like there's a there's an invented reason in the middle of the movie for them to be driven apart but in my opinion anyway it's not so invented it's not like you know i don't know it's not like a, a prescription sort of thing it's like it's a natural outgrowth of their characters but like if i look at the movie from that vein they play that shit dead straight and then there's all this other referential shit about the you know resurrecting old tv shows and stuff like that um but there's just really something to the 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 presence uh and but anyway, i'm sorry to get back on bathos the point is 21 and 22 jump street don't have a lot of bathos in them they have a lot of humor and a lot of self-referential referential humor but the humor is never about creating an anticlimax with the dramatic tension which is what the marvel movies have kind of done since the avengers um in 2012 and a lot of what teen titans go does right like i would say that it is like a bathos kind of humor 
um, to have the Teen Titans, um, uh, you know, carried to court for their after their like big superhero battle and the whole thing to be a joke about legal proceedings and about the property damage that they cause. Do you know what I mean? Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I'm, not, I'm not. I'm not. You know. <laughs> I don't have like a, a good technical definition of bathos, but at least sure. at, at least from like a conceptual level, the, the the difference I think is that like Marvel movies still want the drama to be drama and it's like yeah. it to pick back up after the joke, whereas that like this like Teen Titans go to the movies and I presume the show don't ever want you to do that. Yeah. Um Yeah. Um that I makes mean, sense. yeah, even the drama in the movie. I don't know, I, because I, I don't get, I didn't get the same like played it sort of straight vibe that you did, because even in the drama in this movie, I thought was like they, they used it for jokes. Like when, like when Cyborg walked away, he's like, I guess I'm gonna have to go be a professional football star now. Like, I, don't know, I thought that stuff was, I thought that stuff was just funny. I don't know what to tell you. So, so those um, felt those felt more bathosy to me, right? Like, I don't know, maybe it's just like. It felt like there weren't enough joke. There wasn't enough jokiness for me when like it was actually happening, right? Like I don't know. I don't know. I I think one of the biggest things for me was like I just straight up didn't like believe that Robin could take out the other fourteen Titans, like at that end point. And I get that there was like some like wiggliness there, right? Like that he was yeah. um that you know maybe they weren't tr- they were trying to sw- switch him instead of uh, um instead of beating him up, but like. It, 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 they played it like he had them on the ropes. I just didn't believe it, right? Like, the Robin strengthens his leadership qualities, which stand independent of his abilities as, like, a warrior, essentially. Yeah, I mean, even that, like, I mean, even that, <laughs> I just, I you, I feel like you just can't apply that kind of analysis to a movie like Teen Titans. Yeah, I, you know what so, I mean? Like, <laughs> so, so I, I, I get, I totally get that, but it's one of those things where, like, it, like, I can't help but notice that, mm-hmm. and, like, I can't, like, I get that that's not a huge deal, but it still bothers me, and I don't think it's 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 wrong for it to bother me, right? Like, there's, there's still a level of, of like, there's just still some level of something that you expect, right? Like, even if you use cartoon logic to get there, I feel like you need to, like, take the step to, 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 to go there with the cartoon logic, if that makes sense, right? Like... You know, you, you would even play this for a joke, right? Like, like uh, Slade, like, slaps him with a crystal or something, and he's, like, suddenly all buff and he can take them out. Or something, right? Like, I, I don't know. Uh, it, just, it just feels... Uh, it, it felt weird to me. That, that's all. Again, it didn't it didn't make me think it was bad. It just um, bothered me a little bit in the moment. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I get that. How, how do you feel... So, the... the, the <laughs> This is one of the things that I was hoping would kind of come of this, um, where I was thinking about it in terms of shows. So, like, so I think that there's a difference between a show like Seinfeld and a show like Community, right? Um, where a show like Seinfeld is kind of, uh, it's, well, it's not quite openly referential, but, like, it is referential and it kind of has comments on the state and the structure of sitcoms in a number of different ways. Um, and I think a show like Seinfeld takes like a very cynical sort of view um, where, you know, these people don't change. They don't learn a lesson at the end of the episode, right? They don't, uh, they don't have character arcs, arcs or growth. 
Um, most of the time, they're just treading water. Their flaws will always be their flaws uh, sort of thing. And there's no, like... I don't know, there's, a, there's no, like, moment at the end of it. Versus a show like Community, which I feel is the same sort of thing with, like, referential whatever. Um, but it doesn't have that... It does say that those lessons and that those character arcs do happen anyway, in a way. And so I feel like they're kind of, like, a positive and a negative, right? Like, an optimistic and a pessimistic view. Um, the pessimistic is kind of the wrong word. Maybe, like, ironic... Um, on on kind of like how sitcoms and like how comedies work and i was really hoping going into teen titans go uh to the movies that i would get a good sense for where teen titans falls on that sort of spectrum but i almost think that it also defies that sort of analysis i don't know this is just a thought that i was having when i was thinking about you know these shows uh, what are you? What are you? What's your? What's your takeaway? Okay, you, know you love Seinfeld. Yeah, no, I, 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 I usually think about this kind of comparison, kind of like um, Friends and Seinfeld as a kind of dichotomy. Um, and I think part of the thing is is part of the reason why you get really cynical with a show like Seinfeld or like It's Always Sunny is so you can shit on the characters really hard and not feel bad about it, right? Like you can have terrible things happen to the characters of Seinfeld or It's Always Sunny, and. Um, the audience doesn't like feel it, right? Like, um, like at some point watching Parks and Rec, you start feeling bad for Jerry because he seems like a nice guy, right? Um, whereas, uh, uh, in in uh, in in well, actually a good a good example of this is: Do you ever feel bad for Jerry and Rick and Morty? Uh, just because it's the same character name. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think I think not. That's because they're like. No one in that show is really good, right? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Like, no, I, I, that's the point, right? Yeah, that's yeah. the point that you're making, I feel like. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, Teen Titans go, being a children's show, I don't think you can do that to the characters. So, like, they, they have to they ha they have to give them a little bit of, of like, something because it's, because it's a kid's show, right? Like, I, I think these, I think kid shows fall into this weird place where, like, you have to emphasize their their good traits because you want the kids to relate to the characters and like be like I don't know the cynical part of me would be like that sells merchandise, um, but like the the other part of that is like I just I just don't think kids have like the uh, maybe they maybe they whether or not they have it is 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 I guess more up in the air but like kind of the the tact we we take as as a society is like we don't want to encourage kids to be terrible. Um, and maybe that's also just less like for the kids themselves, more like what mothers will let them watch. Yeah. Right. Like a show, a good wholesome show that's a little bit goofy gets watched more than like a sh Like you couldn't do, you couldn't, you couldn't make Rick and Morty into a kid's cartoon, right? Like right. it has to be an adult swim cartoon. Um, I, I think that's kind of important. I think that that causes, inherently Teen Titans to be less cynical or Teen Titans go to the movies uh, less cynical um, and kind of, and all that cynicism has to happen at a level that like um, either goes over kids' heads or would be perceived to be, to go over kids' heads. Um, right. Like the, the, the whole kind of like sub sub line about like this, 
the shitty superhero movie culture. That's not there for the kids. That's there for the parents watching it with the kids. And it has to be appropriately obscured. That way the parents can be like, ah, I see this thing that you have hidden from the children. And so I'm okay with my children watching this, but I am also entertained yeah. type of deal. And I, I think that's really where, where that, that, that divide comes down. Is that yeah, I also think that kids' shows typically have like a butt monkey, you know, like a Squidward um, is probably like the best example. There are specific characters that you make fun of. I mean, in Teen right. Titans Go, it's Robin. Um, who very consistently gets made fun of by the other four members of the team. Um, and uh, and I think that that's, you know, funny in a lot of ways. Um, but like, uh, but, but I also think that everybody is at, everybody is the target of humor at some point or another. Like even in SpongeBob, Mr. Krabs gets made fun of for his greed. Um, SpongeBob gets made fun of for his naivete. You know, Patrick gets made fun of because he's stupid, right? Like, everybody kind of, like, takes... Everyone takes a kind of... A couple hits. But there's always, like, that standout character. Like, Squidward very rarely gets, like, a moment, right? And mostly in Teen Titans, Robin does not get a moment. Um, because Robin is... In a lot of ways, Robin is kind of, like, moralizing, and the other Teen Titans just make fun of him for it. Like, I don't know how else to explain it besides that. Like, there's an episode where T where um, Beast Boy wants to buy a present for Cyborg, and so he wants to get a job, right? And then everyone's like, okay, great. And then he comes back, and he's part of a job that is clearly a pyramid scheme. And Robin calls this out, and he's like... Beast Boy, you're in a pyramid scheme. You have to get out of this. This is really bad for you. It's bad for everybody else. And he's like, no, man, it's fine. We're good. And then Robin is the butt monkey for for that view. Like, because Beast Boy becomes really successful and gets to the top of the pyramid. And there's, like, a whole song about how he has too much money. It's a great song. It's called Pyramid Mummy Money. And then the end of the, and then the, end of the show... Like, a mummy does come out of nowhere and is, like, the secret mastermind of the pyramid scheme. And then they fight the mummy, but, like, they just keep making fun of Robin anyway. And it's just, like, there is no point, like, there is just no point to it. Like, are we teaching kids that pyramid schemes are secretly great and that you're going to get tons and tons of money with them? Well, I guess kind of, but, like, it's really funny because, I don't I, know, man. <laughs> I also feel like that's the type of thing that, like perceivedly like like is perceived to have to go over kids heads right like yeah um and like i, th I think the distinction i'll make between like you know like the, the robin or the squidward is that like there's still a breaking point in those types of shows right like if you ever get to the point where like squidward's actually crying you're supposed to feel bad for him mm -hmm. right whereas if you do that to like you know dennis on always sunny you're supposed to laugh um and i think that that's kind of the fundamental difference between like the the, the structure there um is, is even even, even well, the even the butt monkey is supposed to be, like, sympathetic at some level. I don't know that that's true. I don't know. I, I, I'd have to think about it with Squidward, because I think that there are a lot of instances where Squidward cries where it is a joke. But whatever the case may be, uh, you know. I, I, it's, I, I, I just think Teen Titans is something special, man. I think it is. It, it defies any and all logic... Uh, an analysis, and I think it's maybe just one of the movies that is supposed to be... You're just supposed to, like, ride it like a wave and then not worry too much about it. It was really funny. I laughed a whole bunch. Yeah. And this yeah. is also typically what I hate 
You know, like, I just spent a whole episode shitting on Ant-Man and the Wasp for not being about anything. And then here I am being like, well, Teen Titans really isn't about anything. I don't... I, what, other, what else is there? It's like... Yeah, I mean... I mean, to, to that point, right? Like, Ant-Man and the Wasp is supposed to be about, like... Is, is supposed to be a part of a larger story. Like, right, like... Well, yeah. there, there is, like... There is a pretension to to real stakes in Ant-Man and the Wasp, right? Um, whereas that is mostly shorn from this movie. And is even if it's there, it's treated as kind of like a side effect for the comedy. Whereas it's it's supposed to be a more of a driving force of of Ant-Man and the Wasp. Um I think part of this is like how you like how well you, you ground things, right? Like like Teen Titans go often goes to the absurd, right? Like, you know, in, in a Marvel superhero movie, you might have, like, a theme song joke, but they wouldn't, like, dance to the theme song to the ignorance of the villain, right? Like, that that would be out of place for a, a Marvel movie, right? Like, or a movie, a movie of that sort. And Ant-Man is the movie of that sort, right? Like, if you want to push Ant-Man and the Wasp towards the more comedy ends, you have to do it in a in a kind of different way, right? Like, you have to have um, it be, I guess, a little bit more situational and a little bit more kind of like Paul Rudd being kind of Paul Rudd um and, and dopey-ish. Um I don't know. Maybe maybe that's man, now, now I've got Ant Man thoughts because like a lot of the things that makes Paul Rudd great in his comedies are the fact that it is they are like goofball off the wall comedies like Wet Hot American Summer and uh and they came together and, and all those other types of movies which which kind of clearly defy the genre expectations but to such an extreme that it's not realistic um yeah i mean i well so that's interesting because i kind of feel like paul rudd and also by the way chris pratt um represent a certain brand and this might be why i'm so skeptical of them um where a goofball is also taken sincerely you know what i mean um where you like Andy is a goofball, but he is also a good guy, and he's kind of just like a giant puppy teddy bear. Dog. Yeah. yeah, you know. Um, and I also think Paul Rudd kind of gets at that, especially in movies like "I Love You, Man." Do you know that? Have you seen that movie? Uh, I haven't. No. Because uh, th there's like there's like this like string of kind of Judd Apatow comedies. I want to yeah. say where he sort of plays this guy who is like he's funny and he's a goofball, right? But like he has real problems and you are supposed to like unironically care about him and who he is. Um, and he kind of fits in that, right? Like, you know, community parks and rec vein where yeah. there's co there's comedy, right? But at the end of the day, it's like very like lovable. Maybe that's maybe that's what it's getting at. But it's funny cuz I also have a tough time with stuff like it's always sunny just cuz like I'm not a big fan of cringe comedy. Um, and I feel like that's a lot what it is, a lot of what it is. Um, yeah, so, so, so this, hmm. It's, but like, it's different. Go it's, isn't that, you know what I mean? I, I was just, it's, it's, it's different because, because, uh, like, I, I, I can't stand cringe comedy, like, like straight cringe comedy. Like, yeah. uh, if you've ever seen Peep Show, I cannot watch more than five minutes of that show. Um, uh, but, um, like, Always Sunny, I can, I enjoy because it's, I, I don't, I don't know, it, it's not as cringy, it's more kind of off the wall. Um, yeah, yeah, that's fair. Um, I mean, there are some there are some episodes of It's Always Sunny that I really like. Um, so it is like, uh, well, <laughs> do you, do you know the episode? Oh God, is it like the gang goes 
the, the, the gang goes America all over everybody's asses where they like remove all rules from the bar and then like and it ends with like Frank has like a poker game or I'm sorry a Russian roulette game with like his weird Vietnamese people it's really funny I, I don't remember that episode of, I haven't but like the point yeah. is there are episodes of It's Always Sunny that I don't think are cringy and they're just kind of just they're just funny um, yeah so maybe maybe that's not I'd like like I what, what what is a good example of like cringe comedy then Trailer uh, Park Boys? I don't like Trailer Park Boys. Trailer Park Boys isn't really cringe, though. It's just kind of, like, goofy. Um, like, early office. Um, yeah, I see, I can't do the British office because of Yeah, this. British offices. The British office is really tough. But, like, the, the American office I can do uh, because, like, it is mean to, but also, like, endearing of Michael Scott. You know, he get like, I, I the end of that show, he gets a... You know, like, he gets a girlfriend who is perfect for him and, like, a new job somewhere else and a really nice send-off, right? Like, you are – he. there's a lot of pathos Spoilers. to Michael Scott. There is very little pathos to Ricky Gervais's, like, David Brent or whatever. Yeah. Like, and- his send-off is he gets fired from the company and he's just begging and pleading for his job back unironically. And it's just so sad. Yeah, I, I, think, I think part of it's, like – a, 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 a bit of how long it runs also just kind of like like I think the earlier episodes of The Office which are the only ones I've really seen kind of get into that and get into that place um, get, like get, get very cringy I, I feel like Arrested Development does too but I haven't watched it in a long time see yeah I actually think this is why Arrested Development season 4 is not great um, because Arrested Development 1, 2, 3, seasons 1, 2, and 3, Michael Scott is pretty unironic. Like, he's the straight man. I mean, he gets a little, a couple, like, deadpan, kind of quippy sarcasm lines. Um, but, like, at the end of the day, he is a good person trying to do the best thing for his family and for his son. And his whole family is filled with kind of, like, selfish jackasses. Uh, the problem with Arrested Development season 4 is that Michael Scott, and this is because they split up the, the, the family, they split up the cast... Um, to make filming, like, easier, because everybody's, like, right. super famous now. Um, when Michael Scott has to carry his own, uh, like, his own episode that focuses just on him, he kind of had to turn into the same sort of, like, selfish douche that the rest of the family always was. And then all of a sudden, now you have no, like, relatable in to get in the... Yeah, know, yeah, 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 I see what you're saying. Um, well, I don't know how we got here, exactly... I, you know, I it, it's just I, I it's 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 comedy. Yeah, I, I, talking about how comedy works. I don't know why. I don't know why. I think it is a testament to how kind of irreverent that Teen Titans Go is. That it is so funny that it defies just everything. You just can't do it with Teen Titans Go. You just gotta like laugh. So it's hilarious. So I I think I've got I think I've got a thing that that maybe I'll, I'll highlight some of the difference here, if. Teen Titans Go was legitimately a canonical movie in the DC universe, right? Like, I don't think you'd as you'd be. I think you wouldn't be as happy about it. That's true. Yep, I would probably be really pissed. Um, and only because it exists outside of it, right? Like, I'm yeah. interested to, to think about like if you could do a movie like that, like, like the the answer would be like an Ant Man, um, or like Deadpool, or maybe Plastic Man for DC. You, like, you could do, like, a super goofy movie and try and Boy, slide it yeah, in. yeah, right? What would that look like? Yeah. 
Um, but I, I don't know if you could do it without like really alienating your your base. Like I feel like it has to be like that. Like we talked about with with Deadpool two, like the 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 Jack Sparrow approach, where like you've got the one larger than life character in the background. See, I also think. See, I even for like Ant Man, I actually think that Ant Man is just kind of a culmination of the direction of the Marvel Universe over time. And then there's a little bit of variation in there, right? Like, Ant-Man came out one or two years after, well, one year after um, uh, Winter Soldier, which was not like a comedy romp or anything along those lines, right? But I think you have a line from Iron Man to the Avengers and then kind of like Avengers to Guardians of the Galaxy and then Guardians of the Galaxy through like Thor Ragnarok. It's just like... Yeah, over time, the Marvel Universe has kind of universally gotten more this, I guess. Um, and so, there, like, a Marvel Universe movie that's playing off type is a Marvel Universe movie that is, like, Winter Soldier. But even in Winter Soldier, like, I feel like they, they hadn't quite gone through this change yet. Because Winter Soldier came out before Guardians of the Galaxy. And it's really that, like, line of the big breakout Marvel movies are always funnier... I guess, than, like, the previous ones it always sort of feels like, until maybe Infinity War, but I don't know how much of a breakout yeah, that is. So, I, I, don't, I, don't know, I don't know if I exactly agree with that, because, like, I think Ant-Man was supposed to be a step beyond, but it's hard to, like, see that because, like, like because the movies are turning that direction, I'll give you that, right? Like, like Thor Ragnarok is, is, is kind of in this Guardians of the Galaxy-esque vision of it, but, like, Black Panther isn't, right? Like, and I think Black Panther hues more to, like, the 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 center of what a Marvel movie is supposed to be, um, than uh, than like Ragnarok or 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 Ant Man or uh, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. I, I think part of that is just like Ant Man just wasn't as good at it. Um, but uh, like the the direction, the decision to take some of those movies in a more comedic direction is fine for those characters, but I don't think it would be appreciated if Infinity War was in that direction. Yeah. Um, I don't think it would be appreciated if Black Panther was that, right? Like, Yeah, you're right. Um, so I, I think it's, I don't know, tough thing to balance. It is definitely a tough thing to balance. Um, uh, and I think, like, you know, the DC movies have been doing the opposite thing, where they get they are kind of getting more like this over time, um, you know, since... Uh, Batman versus Superman. I mean, Suicide Squad was obviously an abortion, but um, even that was like a little bit more funny because it, you know, like it has like Will Smith or whatever doing doing like bits, and there's like all these like graphics on screen that are like doing bits, um, which is more than like BVS uh, had. Like BVS had had humor much, very much akin to the Dark Knight saga, I think where it's, like, small moments of kind of comic relief in a pretty otherwise, you know, dead straight myth-making story. Um, whereas, like, when you start getting into Suicide Squad, Wonder Woman, now Shazam, right? Um, it's, yeah. go it's going the other way. Yeah. That's fair. Um... But we're kind of at the end of the hour, I guess. I guess that's... I guess yep. we are. D Teen Titans Go, it's just, it's just funny, guys. Listen, I know I know there's some of you out there that are like, but, you know, the Teen Titans TV show, it's different. It's why do they turn it into Spongebob? It's because Spongebob is really funny, too, I guess. <laughs> I don't know what else to tell you. Um, I highly recommend everyone go see this movie. I'm sure you'll get 
I'm sure you'll get a good laugh out of it. And, and if you're one of those people that, that swore, swore off Go because of the original series, you can have your cake and eat it too. That's I true. We didn't even talk about any of that stuff. Yeah, I mean, is there really anything to talk about? The I don't know. I they mean, teased a new season of the original series. Who yeah, they teased the right? new season of the original series, which I find, by the way, to be the poetic justice that everyone who ever said, I hate Teen Titans Go because it's not the original series, can go suck a thousand dicks because the fucking original series is coming back explicitly because of the success of Teen Titans, Titans Go. Go. Yeah. Um, um, it's the same voice actors for all of them, right? Yeah, it, it has always been the same voice right, actors. Right, right. I think this is part of it. When Teen Titans Go was announced, see, I, in a weird way, because I, I was reading the comics, I was um, primed for this. When Teen Titans Go was announced, um, people were expecting something like a reboot of the original series, right? When, when you get an announcement that it's the original team coming back, Right, like that scene. Like I can understand people kind of misinterpreting yeah, those signals. Um, but uh, but so the, the other thing, like one of the reasons that Teen Titans Go is what it is, is because there was a comic book that came out for a while called Tiny Titans. I want to say that it was a kind of like crayon and colored pencils drawing sort of thing. But the whole thing was just wall to wall comedy, right. um, and it was like meant for like little kids. And it wasn't quite on the level of Teen Titans. But I actually bought tiny titans for a while because it was like legitimately hilarious and so i was kind of primed for it in a way that other people weren't because i understood the success of the tiny titans comic book um from the time but you know yeah well that was teen titans go um yeah uh so moving into our week's first order businesses we did hell's rebels again uh we uh we fought a big thing yeah how did you how did you like that that fight I thought it was all right. I feel like we got through some of the stuff a little faster than you anticipated. Um, just because I felt like the the mooks just kind of like went down hard. Uh, which mooks? The, the the first mooks or the second mooks? The 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 soul flares. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. That fight was supposed to be a little more dangerous. That fight was it was supposed to be kind of objectives. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you're not supposed to sit there and DPS down the Night Stalker or the Night Walker because the Night Walker, it's like CR 18 or something. Like, it's like really powerful and it'll really fuck you up. Um, I wasn't quite using all of its abilities. So, the big thing with the Night, with the night Walker is that it had DR 15, um, which meant that it was hard to DPS down. And so it's, so I was kind of like, well, there are these rune stones, and if you can break the rune stones, you deal 50 damage a pop. It has about 250 HP. Expecting the party to put out at least 50 damage in order to kill the Nightwalker seems pretty good. Um, but, like, it would be really tough without them breaking two or three of the rune stones. And I guess you guys did break yeah. three of the rune stones. So I guess it was about the same thing. But, yeah, man, it's always tough when you, don't, you just don't get a ton of actions. Um, yeah, on, on big monsters like that. I also feel like one of the bigger flaws of of PF uh, one, I guess, at this point is is that later stuff feels a little rocket taggy. Yeah, right. Like you like like nearly like blew the shit out of out of Alaric, right? Yeah, I mean, to be honest with you, I didn't even know what Touch of Death was. I just saw on the Nightwalker's thing it has one a day touches Touch of Death as like a as like a spell like ability, and I was like. He opens the fight with this. It's really fucking strong. Get wrecked. And then I said that I read. I was like, "Wow, like, boy, that's tough." Yeah, no, and and, and I, I I get that. Um, it's just kind of like, it feels like at a certain point in PF, it's 
it's it's those types of trades, right? Like the things yeah, yeah. get like really, really. It's like I said, rocket tacky, um, and it's, it's hard to kind of like make things, especially single sources, feel like a real threat without just kind of like totally destroying one member of the party. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And the, but the Fort Spurn were supposed to go down pretty fast. I mean, the big danger with the Fort Spurn is if they ever did that hammer thing where they. Yeah. Break your chain on, like, the anvil or whatever. Uh, these are actually a monster that I found. They were a pretty obscure monster, but I found them, and they were in the dungeon with all the puzzles. Um, but you guys never hit their room. Um, so, I, so I brought them back for this. So they're actually pretty weak. Like, they're CR, like, 9 or 10 or okay. something. Um, <clears throat> and so oh, they, so, they go down pretty quick. But, like, even if one of them gets it off, because when they do the hammer break thing, they do con and charisma drain or damage. Um, and so that's, you know, like if, the, if one or two of them got good chain hits in, that would have been really devastating. Yeah. I see. Uh, I, I, that's kind of what I was looking for. I, I feel like kind of from like a balance perspective, you want that to happen once. Um, and then like, like force the party to play around it. Mm -hmm. Um, I feel like that would have been the case if we hit them in, in the dungeon when, when that happened. Yeah. Um, I should have, I should have bumped their saves. DCs if I wanted that to happen because at the end of the day the them being a CR9 monster meant that most of your guys saves were just like way better it was really hard for you to fail a save and get like soulbound or whatever um, yeah because I, I wasn't really paying attention to the numbers that much yeah well uh it was it was it was a cool encounter with a with a very climactic end I felt very good about those Nosferatu, though. As soon as I... They had, like, an insane reflex save. They had, like, a plus 16 reflex save. And as soon as I saw that, I was like, get wrecked, Charles. Because, like, I know that he, like, approaches a lot of a lot of things like this. There are six of them um, by doing fireballs and stuff like that. But so them having extremely high reflex saves and evasion uh, felt pretty good to uh, toss it at Charles. And I got, like, the, the intended effect... Um, which was, you know, to try and reevaluate his tactics and see what he could do to, to damage them. Yeah, no, that's, that's, uh, that's neat. Um, <sighs> what's, uh, what else do we have? Um, do you have anything else you want to talk about with that, uh, with that session? Um, uh, not really. All right. Uh, so how was, how was your week then? How was my week? Fuck, what did I even do? So, uh, the big thing that I've been doing this week is I've been playing a lot of Hearthstone. Um, because there's, like, an event out right now called the Fire Festival that, like, doubles the quest rewards. And I'm saving up for the new Boomsday Project um, expansion. Uh, have, you, have you done, do you know anything about the Boomsday Project? Uh, no, I haven't been following it. Okay, so, so the Boomsday Project is, like, a, it's an expansion where... There is a, um, uh, there is a, um, the, the, the Netherstorm. So, so Dr. Boom from Go Goblins vs. Gnome is, like, a really famous monster, like, minion, because he's just, like, so insanely good. Dr. Seven, everybody put them in every deck no matter what. Um, and then that kind of gave him a little bit of, a history, I guess, uh, when it comes to, uh, when it comes to Hearthstone and sort of like the flavor, um, of, of like the whole game. 
And so they, they made a whole expansion around him making his own, like, mad scientist laboratory in Netherstorm. And each of the different classes are, you know, represented by a legendary scientist, and they're all focused on one type of project, right? So, like, druids are biology, um, and so all of their cards, like, reference treants and shit. Um, the priests are the cloning lab, um, and so there's you know, there's, like, cloning involved and all of this stuff like that. Um, paladins do, like, lasers with, like, crystals and the light and stuff. Um, and so I've just been playing... I've, I've just been, like, reading what people are saying about some of, like, the reveal cards and what and what people think about the uh, the expansion. It's a little tough because I'm a little... Uh, like, I'm, I'm kind of wondering... Excuse me. It's a little tough because I'm sort of wondering how much Ben Brode was a part of this expansion because Ben Brode and a couple of his top designers left to go make their own uh, studio. Um, and it was pretty clear that Witchwood was like a Ben Brode, like Witchwood was the last expansion. Um, but like if the Boomsday Project is locked, right, at the time of Ben Brode's leaving, then it's still kind of quote unquote his expansion. But they're also doing a lot of really like interesting and out there stuff with the expansion. Um, that I'm a little bit like, I wonder if these are like, you know, designers who are revolting against the Broad. Um, I don't know. Who knows? But, uh, but so yeah, I guess that's, I guess that's that. Was that the entirety of your week? And, you know, I played a little bit of WoW. Uh, have you been leveling at all in WoW recently? No, not at all. It is, it is a really big, um... Uh, it's really big controversy at the moment that they actually addressed, like, Watcher, uh, Ian Hazakostas, um, like, went on the forums to kind of, like, talk about one of the problems with the stat squish is that leveling feels kind of shitty right now. Uh, specifically, and I can attest to this because I'm doing it and I just did it, the 60 to 80 range is fucking garbage, um, which is Burning Crusade and Northrend, um, they confirmed that it's taking players about 15% longer than to level each level than in the previous, um, than in the previous expansion or the later expansion, right? Which would actually kind of make sense because the previous expansion would have been all of the one to 60 content, which was redone during Cataclysm. Um, right. and then after that is Cataclysm Mists and then in Warlords and then Legion. And I think really what it's getting at is that the quest design philosophy changed over time um, to make questing kind of more efficient from just a design perspective. The big difference that I sense is that in uh, in something like Warlords or something like Cataclysm, um, typically what happens is you go to a place, you get three or four quests that are like, go to this specific area of the map and do some stuff there, right? And, you know, you'll kill a big named npc mob you'll kill 10 of his flunkies and you'll pick up 12 little you know poops on the ground yeah yeah little whatever's on the ground and then you'll turn those in and you'll do one two three quest completions right uh that is the way that quests have basically worked since cataclysm in in northrend and in um burning crusade they don't right in burning crusade a lot of quests are just run all the way across the map to do this one thing and then run all the way back here. So there's just, like, a lot of lost time flying back and forth um, to, to, to sort of places. 
um, or trying to like follow like esoteric kind of quest lines. And there are a couple of good spots, like meaty spots, where you can you know sit down and it's a zone or a, a, a part of a zone, and you get three or four quests to go here, three or four quests to go there, three or four quests to go there, right? And it's all like compact um, and everything like that. But I don't know. It feels it feels it feels pretty bad. Well, well. Which sucks, because allied races are, like, the cool thing, right? And obviously there's this incentive, because you get heritage armor if you level an allied race from 20 to 110. So, yeah. Yep. Well, that sounds like it sucks. Uh, I'm not doing that, though. I've been, uh... What have I been doing? What have you been doing? Uh, tell, me about, tell me about your life. So I've been playing a little bit of uh, Enter the Gungeon again, because they just released a big update called Adva Advanced Gungeons and Dragons. Uh, because I actually heard about this. To be yeah. yeah, um, I haven't been, I haven't seen a lot of the new content yet, but it's fun. It's always been a fun game, and I'm just kind of giving my parents back on that. I don't have a ton to say about that. Um, this game I've talked about before, Seven the Days Long Gone. I really like the game conceptually, but I have hit the point where there's just too much Eurojank and I can't do it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> just like things like clearly don't work the way they're supposed to and like you face through walls and I have to reload it a half dozen times it just it, I just can't do it anymore um I, it's it's a shame because I really do like the game I think it's really neat and I think that like this could be like the Witcher one for the studio if like you know what would it be like nine the days longer longest gone mm -hmm. um you know that could be a great game um it's kind of by analogy um and I hope that this game that this game does well right like um yeah and I feel like maybe in like another three or four months when I have my patience back, I can go back to it. Um, but uh, it is it is what it is. It's a, it's a Euro Jenka game that's incredibly innovative um, that I just, I, just, I just can't deal with the Jank anymore. Um, the bigger achievement uh, is I finally finished Two Eyes, which you recommended to me, uh, I don't know, like six months ago at this point, maybe longer. Um, did you ever finish that? The mobile Holy game? Holy shit, the mobile game? Yeah. No, you did all, like, the 30 by 30s? Yeah, the last, yeah. The the I, the first time I saw the finale, it's like, it's 30 by 30, I was like, fuck. And I, like, stopped playing for the night, but I, I just yesterday finished the last one. Um, I think that the smartphone is not great for anything above, like, the 20 by 20s, I thought were pushing it. And the 30s by 30s, I had so many failures, because I just, like, mistapped. Oh, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I just, I just don't, like... I don't like the interface great for it, but it, it worked out. Um, it was entertaining. It was a thing I did while I listened to podcasts. Yeah, uh, I did. I did. A, I did a lot of two eyes for a while, but then I got back into Hearthstone, and then Hearthstone yeah. came and became my mobile game of choice. Uh, fair enough. Um, but uh, it is a great way to just kind of like occupy yourself, though. Yeah. Uh, so I highly recommend Two Eyes. To yeah, it was a lot of fun. I think it's. I think it's a a genre actually called nonograms because. I was looking through a new game to pick up, essentially, because I'm out of things to do um, while I listen to podcasts. And, uh, there, w and uh, there was another one called Nonograms, and it was, like, Japanese, like, like, uh, like the traditional Japanese art style with pixels and the same type of thing. I think, I think it might be, like, a puzzle type, uh, which is neat. Um, this game was, I don't know, the story was kind of whatever, but it was fun. Um, the art was pretty pretty. Uh yeah, that's a, I don't know. I finished that. Have you been Have you been watching anything? You finished Boku no Hero, but we'll yeah, yeah. do an episode on that. Yeah, yeah, I caught up on Boku no Hero Academia. Very hype. I recommend it to everybody, um, not just buddy. 
Um, but uh, if, unless you've got anything else that you have, I, I have a thing I want to I want to talk about briefly. Okay, yeah. sure, let's do it. All right. So, um, recently, uh, the developer of um, of of God of War the reboot uh, said that there was like a hidden thing in in the very beginning of the game in the uh, in the house, and everybody went and looked at it and quickly found that um, that there are four runes that would translate it to English spell Loki, which um, I guess I should have warned, but this is a, the spoilers for everybody at home. Atreus is, is Loki. Um, uh, and the reporting on this was uh, like, it was, it was an article that said, um, you know, God of War contains huge spoiler. That's uh, so dumb. Uh, for is that what you're about to ask me? That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, it's, the, the, the controversy is is, is, is is a little bit deeper than this, right? I don't know how much of a controversy. I just saw it on Twitter and, and thought I'd ask your opinion. Uh, so this this article says, contains, like, you know, like, you know, the house at the beginning contains this spoiler. And uh, somebody, like, the hot take from a bunch of people, there was one tweet that really blew up. It's like, well, actually, it's called foreshadowing. Learn to be, learn some literature, you ignorant plebs. Um, and, you know, I just kind of, like, I read it and I was like, I was kind of off put by just kind of like the, the aggressive nature of it. Um, but I thought about it and I didn't like my gut reaction was like, it's not really foreshadowing. Cause it's not like visible by like anybody. And you have to translate it out. And I thought it was more of an Easter egg, but given that you are the master of literary techniques, I wanted your opinion on, on whether it counted as foreshadowing or, or not or what, or if you had, man, I would not call that foreshadowing um, specifically because foreshadowing has, has to be, Foreshadowing is about, like, it kind of fails foreshadowing on two points. The first one being the point that you recommend. Like, the, the it, it fails for two reasons. The first one is, is the one that you just highlighted, which is that, like, it has to be obvious for it to be foreshadowing, right? Um, and the second one is that it has to be cryptic. Um, and, at you know, the semantics out there will probably point out that this is quite literally cryptography and everything like that. But, like, the point of foreshadowing is to say, you know, is when Lex Luthor says to Bruce Wayne and Clark Kent, I would not want to get into a fight with this person, right, when we know that he's engendering for them to fight each other or whatever, right? Because the movie's Batman versus Superman or something like that. Um, or it's, like, foreshadowing for, like, a twist, um, where it's all about, and like the, the, a satisfying twist ending is always set up on a very, on like on a knife's edge because you need stuff to be there for the twist, but also not too obvious so that everybody can call the twist in that it's predictable. Um, you know, so for instance, uh, the Kaiser Soze twist, if you are paying attention to the names of all of the shit that he's pulling into his story in the police, in the office, in all of the scenes that are in the police guy's office, you can see that he's pulling all of these names from like coffee mugs and shit or whatever, right? But it's also not an obvious thing to be like scrutinizing the set design that much. Um, and it's, and it's satisfying because the twist happens and then you go back from before the twist and you're seeing all of these things that are layered in there that help you realize, oh, that was going on the whole time and I just didn't sort of see it. Right. Um, but like, this isn't an example of that because fucking nobody speaks 
what ancient Nordic runes? Are you kidding me? Like, nobody would ever know that. Like, so I think what this is accurately kind of, um, I think what this is accurately descriptive of is like an Easter egg, right? Or lore or something like that that is kind of like hidden in the margins. Something that I've been actually really into recently over the past week and a half is a new Five Nights at Freddy's game came out. Um, and the Five Nights at Freddy's games, uh, well, I think they're better than people get it for, get, get, give them credit for it because i think people are like oh jump scares are like lame or whatever and it's like no well you know it's it's deeper than that but there's actually like a really in-depth lore to the game um that is really only accessible through the interpretation of the interpretation of very like vague cryptic sort of easter eggs um and i think that this is right in line with that stuff right in the same way that we learn about the story of what's actually going on at you know freddy fazbear's pizzeria um by paying attention to like newspaper clippings on the wall um and stuff like that uh we learn about you know we we might learn that loki is um atreus yeah atreyu whatever atreus the, the guy, is loki yeah yeah that, that atreus is loki by translating like those runes if you happen to be a fucking ancient norse historian i guess i don't know um, yeah, no, that, that, that makes sense. Um, I, I think this can, I'm going to, I'm going to kind of broaden this out to like, cause I think there is, there is a good moment of foreshadowing in, in the game, right? Um, at, at the point at which Atreus learns that he's like a god spawn, essentially, he says, uh, oh, what powers do I have? Can I turn into animals? Right. Which is a Loki power. Right. And I think that that is, that could be categorized as foreshadowing. Would you agree? Mm. Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, but part of that is it's a cutscene that's forced, right? Like, you have to see that. Um, uh, get, just given the way that foreshadowing works, I guess, um, like, is, is it just harder to pull off in video games? Because there, there's, like, there's less forced moments. Like, do you have to force moments for, for foreshadowing to work effectively? No, I mean, there's not, there's not a necessity, I think, for every individual piece of foreshadowing to be blatant and obvious um i think the the point of foreshadowing is for honestly a couple of people to you know like a couple of things to kind of click for you but not others and so like you might you might be like hey man that like that looks off I wonder why that's different, but then you kind of quickly move on because the story gets past yeah. that. And you might have that moment once or twice, but it turns out that there are 20 of those moments and they all add up together to foreshadow the plot twist, right? And if you had been more attentive and had seen all of them. And a lot of the times different... I mean, this is kind of how like the, the Westworld subreddit famously predicted the entirety of season one. It's because the plot twist was really well foreshadowed, but the, the specific details that I might pick up all of a sudden, I can now share with everyone else in a, in a localized spot. Um, and there are thousands of people willing to work together to put together all of the pieces of those of that foreshadowing to predict the, the plot as it comes out. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so, you know. Is, foresh yeah. is foreshadowing, like, is a plot twist necessary for foreshadowing or can it, can it be without plot like can you No, foreshadowing also works for other stuff too um it can work for you know stuff that isn't um like like the batman vs superman example that is foreshadowing but we all know walking into it that lex luthor is setting up this battle it's called batman vs superman right like do you know what i mean 
it's foreshadowing of something that right. we know about. It's it, it doesn't you don't need to have something hidden in order for foreshadowing to work. Um, it but it is like a necessary component of, of like plot twists. Okay, okay, that, that makes sense. I, I buy that. Um, that was the uh, the big things that I had. Um, just because. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I think that that is really dumb to call that a fucking spoiler. Boy, is that stupid. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, like, like, it was one of those things where it's like, it's not really a spoiler, but, like, you being aggressive about, like, video game nerds not knowing what foreshadowing is is also wrong. And just kind of, the whole thing yeah. would be the wrong way. Yeah, uh, I mean, I also think that um, this is this is part of a problem that I think comes into kind of how we think about and talk about sort of like culture and cultural artifacts. And this actually f falls into a much wider discussion and kind of like position that I take on this sort of thing. I think because culture is something that everybody interfaces with, right, there is a certain sort of um, kind of defensive understanding of what some of these things mean. Um, and that muddles definitions quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, a good example of this are some of like the really politically loaded sorts of terms um, that get pulled out for like culture wars, like cultural appropriation, right? When I tell Johnny on the street, cultural appropriation, when I say that word, it probably conjures a different version of what that word means kind of in like an academic film studies standpoint. Like I learned about cultural appropriation in film school essentially. Um, and it was, and it is a neutral term, right? Like it's not, it's not a, it's not a judgment, right? right? It's not a, it's not something that you use to attack someone. It is just a description for what is going on, right? When culture A takes elements of culture B and recycles those for the digestion of culture A, right? Actually, a good example of this is, um, uh, uh, what's the, God, what's that guy's name in Yu-Gi-Oh? Bandit Keith. Do you know Bandit Keith? Oh, is he the, the American guy? Or yeah, he's he like is? the American guy with like the American like flag or whatever. I mean, there's plenty of good examples of cultural appropriation for kind of like America outwards because like America is like the dominant cultural force on the planet and everything like that. But it's a lot tougher to find something that is like America inwards, if that makes sense, where another culture takes American culture and then appropriates it for their own stuff. Uh, the other good example is Bollywood does this sometimes, um, which is pretty funny to be honest. <laughs> well, I, I would also point out that uh, that All Might is, is is pretty much that in Boku no Hero Academia. Yeah, yeah. Watch it. <laughs> no, I mean that is that is yeah. like literally true, right? Like, and I think it's part of the reason that stuff like One Punch Man and Boku no Hero Academia are getting like picked up because like they are dealing with a pretty explicitly. Uh, American, you know, cultural artifact, which are superheroes, right? Like that is a that is essentially American construction. Um, and uh, but anyway, so <clears throat> the point I'm making is that like a lot of this stuff, right? The way people talk about plot holes is like this, right? Or like plot contrivances. A lot of this stuff is like people interface with the culture and they see the culture and they hear these terms and kind of backfill definitions, but it like warps the way that they are used, right? So cultural appropriation is kind of weaponized by blog writers into being a condemnation and a judgment against against something in the culture when from like an academic perspective, it means something not that, right? Um, and I think that, that the other big place that happens is with plot holes, right? People talk about stuff as plot holes when there is 
plot logic right um there is like some element of logos there to justify it um but really what they're talking about is like breaking you know suspension of disbelief right something that breaks the suspension of disbelief is commonly called a plot hole um and then there's like what is a plot hole and what is a plot contrivance and i think that that's yes. like really a spectrum with a lot of gray area in there because like okay how much are you willing to kind of take leaps of logic for the plot in order to make something kind of work um like a good example of this is the uh the thing from the last jedi with um fucking god what's the Admiral Holdo, right? Like, why does Admiral Admiral Holdo not tell Poe the plan when he's explicitly freaking out and asking for it? For some people, that's not a plot hole or a plot contrivance because it makes sense for her not to, like, justify his, you know, and I'm not endorsing this viewpoint, but, like, his childish, you know, man-baby feelings about being kind of emasculated. Sure. To take, like, the bad faith sort of... Uh, attack on it um, but then on the other side of things you have people going well it's such a plot hole because there is no reason whatsoever completely absolutely that she would never tell Poe this plan right like this doesn't make any sense at all kind of thing and really the answer is kind of somewhere in the middle right? yeah, it doesn't yeah. work for people and it does in other sort of instances yeah no I, I buy all of that um, it also all gets mixed up right like um, it's what a, there's there's a response to, like, criticism of Star Wars that's like, well, it's space wizards with lightsabers. Who cares? And th- oh, I like that response. I oh, I hate that. Sometimes. I know you do, and I hate it when you do it. <laughs> it's stupid. Like, just because something has unrealistic elements doesn't mean it doesn't have to, like, adhere to its own internal logic. Right? Like... Okay, that's fair. No, but... Well, like, and, okay, I, I think fair. that sometimes but, you can you can use that, right? Like, you, okay, you the, spe- yeah, the specific instance of this was with Kylo Ren's lightsaber, right? When Kylo Ren's yeah. lightsaber came out and it was the cross-guard lightsaber and, like, fanboys pitched a, like, pitched a fit because it didn't match with, like, the extended universe lightsaber canon- canonicity, how lightsabers work. And I was like, Jesus fucking Christ, you guys. They're redoing the canon. So it's kind of two... It, it, like, that point was two things, right? One of which was, like, rule of cool applies to a certain point. Let it go. Right. And the other point was they also just decanonized what you are using to defend this. Or, I mean, to attack this or whatever. So that doesn't quite hold water. Uh, but, yeah, I definitely agree that, like, internal logic does need to, to, does need to hold up. Um, and that there are, and that like instances where internal logic doesn't. I have to say, in terms of the Teen Titans Go movie, I was surprised how well the internal logic hold up because like they get making a joke about Raven teleporting stuff away. Like I don't know, I thought yeah. that was funny. Yeah, no, absolutely. Like they like <laughs> they like lampshaded that it was like a super overpowered power. Yeah, and like it could be used to just like solve every problem. Like, <laughs> oh man. Yeah. So, uh, with that, I think that's uh, about the right point to, to close this off. That's true. Uh, um, if By you... the time you guys are listening to this, we'll be at Gen Con. So, if any of you are at Gen Con and hear my dulcet tones. Or mine. Or Mango's dulcet. I don't even know what dulcet means. I just know that phrase. Um, please feel free to come and, and, harangue, and harangue us. Yeah. Uh, I will be handing out poker chips with the logo on them. So, you know, um, and for those of you that were at home and were curious, dulcet means pleasing to the ear or melodious. Oh, I don't think either of us have dulcet tones. Um, yeah, anyway, uh, if you'd like to contact us about Teen Titans Go, 
to the movies or regular or the show or any of the other things we talked about this podcast, you can reach us at podcast.subdurseplaygames.com or subdurseplaygames at gmail.com. You can follow us at twitch.tv slash subdurseplaygames where we play those uh, RPGs that we talk about sometimes. We will not be playing next week because of said Gen Con. Um, uh, what else is there? You can follow us on SoundCloud and on Twitter and all the places. Leave us a review on iTunes. Uh, or wherever good podcasts are found, or also wherever terrible podcasts are found. Um, I think that's everything I had. Buddy, do you have anything else you wanted to promote? I have nothing else that I'm looking to promote. In that case, until next time, dear listeners. Until next time, loyal listeners.